Welcome to Providence Road. We are glad that you're here this morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you're new or you're a guest with us, we're really honored uh, that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. We're really, really glad that you're here. We're continuing on in our series, walking through the book of Romans, as we have been for the last eight or nine months. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today. So if you're a person who likes to follow along with us, you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. They will be on, the verses will be on the screens to my left and to my right when I begin to read those. Um, we also have Bibles scattered around through the room. Um, and in those Bibles, it's page 552 if you're using one of those Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those home. Uh, it's a gift from us to you. We think everyone should have a Bible in their home. So if you don't have one, please take that home. Uh, let's read and then we'll jump right in today. Romans 12, we're going to start with verse 1 and go through verse 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in it. And I thank you that it's authoritative. We know it's inspired by you. We know that it's sufficient for everything um, pertaining to life and godliness and the things you've called us to do. And we know that it can change us. So I pray as we walk through this passage, you would change us this morning. You would change our minds. You would change our hearts to love what you love. And you would change the way we live when we leave this place, that we would... Um, live lives that are honoring to our King. And we love you and we're so, so thankful for who you are and what you've done on behalf of broken and needy sinners, like all of us in this room. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the, the topic that Paul is going to address today and that we're going to talk about is one of those topics that I think we kind of hear it and we walk into it and think, that maybe we're better at it than we actually are, or that we think that maybe we get it more, and then once we get into it, we realize we really had no idea what we were doing or what we were thinking about it. And we realize how, maybe how fall, far short our view was of it. And here's, here's an example from just everyday life. We're uh, parents, my wife and I, and Nicole, my wife and I, um, we have been parents for uh, 20 months. We have one 20-month-old little boy. 
and we, God withheld um, children from us for, in, his, in his wisdom for about 10 years. And uh, so we had 10 years to kind of gear up to become parents. And going into this, we knew it would be hard. We knew that. And we saw plenty of other people and friends raise their kids and have small children and, and see them grow up. But I don't think we knew, we knew really how... Um, lack of wisdom we had. We thought at least when things were going to go wrong, we would have answers. We knew it would be hard, we'd have answers. We would know how to react when different things occurred. And just this week, over the last week, week and a half, Jax, our son, he's entered into a, a new phase. And there are some things he's doing that we really don't have answers for. For example, he's begun climbing, okay? These parents know climbing's a fun stage. Um, climbing um, on our Dining room table is one of the most fun things he can do. Climbs on the chair, climbs on the table. We have this long, kind of skinny, rectangular table. And he likes to do sprints up and down our table when we're not looking and kind of avoiding the light that's hanging down over the table in the process, okay? Um, Nicole or I, we've never gotten up on that table and ran. Never. We've never we haven't modeled this behavior for him, yet he's doing it. He, he's always been a little interested in the toilet, um, but this week he's being, getting creative with the toilet water. He likes to take these plastic cups that we have laying around, dip the cup in the toilet, and pour it on the bathroom tile. Maybe he's cleaning, maybe he's you know, helping us with a little mopping. Um, that happened this week. Um, he's obsessed with trash cans. We're, Nicole and I are not obsessed with trash cans, especially the trash bin outside of our house. When he sees it, when it's trash day and they're out on the curbs screams, rash, 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 and points, points to the trash can, the trash bins, obsessed with them, wants to go touch them and open them whenever we're outside walking, and we don't do that as a family. We haven't taught him this, okay? We, so we're, we're struggling with some things and how to have answers to some of these behaviors he's doing now that we're in the middle of it. We're missing his favorite pair of shoes, our favorite pair of shoes, because they're really easy to put on him, missing them since Monday. We think they probably found their way into a trash in our house that now is in our bin. So this afternoon, we may be opening trash bags in our bin to see if we can find these shoes. But with all that being said, this is something that we thought we would have answers for. We thought we knew what this was going to be about. And we knew it was going to be hard, but we have lacked answers to some things in parenting. Or I shouldn't say some things, a lot of things. And I think Paul today is going to address what it looks like to be a part of the church. Okay, what it looks like to be a part of community. And I think for all of us in this room, whether it's the, the local church or any other form of community in our world, so I think we think that we have more community than we really do. I think we, maybe when we think of church, that we have kind of an idea of what it means to be a part um, of the church. And so when we come into church, we have this mindset of this is what it means to belong to the church. But I know in my experience, as I've matured and understand the scriptures and my faith, I've gotten uh, um, just more, um, I've fallen more in love with the local church. I'm realizing what a blessing and a privilege it is to be a part of the local church and live um, the Christian life out as family with other brothers and sisters. And this is what Paul is going to get into today. But before we get to verse 3, where we're really going to start today, um, I want us to just kind of catch us up real quick where we, at in Ro- where we are at in Romans. Chapters 1 through 11, Paul talks, lays out very clearly really who God is, or who we are, and in light of who we are in our predicament, who God is and what he has done in Jesus Christ. 
and how we are to respond in faith to that, okay? And that is chapters 1 to 11. 315 verses, Paul is unpacking this theology of the gospel. Faith, righteousness, these big terms. And, and then in chapter 12, he makes a turn. It's almost he's like, okay, in light of those 11 verses, 11 chapters, now we're starting on chapter 12, and this is how you live. This is how you live as a follower of Jesus in light of everything that Jesus has done on your behalf. And that's where we find ourselves today in the middle of this chapter where he's talking about how to live the Christian life. Last week we looked at verses 1 and 2 which really talk about being living sacrifices, not being conformed to the world, but being conformed to Jesus so we can know his will for our lives, know his purpose for our lives. And that really serves as an umbrella idea or statement really over the rest of the book. Okay, so as we are offering ourselves as living sacrifices, um, this is how we are to live. And like, like I said, today uh, Paul is really addressing this idea of what it looks like to be a family what it looks like to be a part of the local church. So really he's going to address two things today, very straightforward things in these six verses we're going to look at. First off, he's going to address what our attitude or what our posture should be as it relates to the local church or the church. And second of all, he's going to show us in light of our posture or our attitude, this is how we live. This is what we do now as we are humble people offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God. So really, we're going to touch on those two things. And then at the, at the very end, we're going to talk a little bit about what this actually means for Providence Road. What this means in our context, in our church, what it looks like to be a part of Providence Road. So let's look at verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, this, this idea of measures of faith here, okay, this isn't, this, people aren't assigned different measures of faith. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, according to the measure of faith that all of us who are followers of Jesus have, according to that faith, be humble. According to the faith given to us by, by grace and the gospel and, and our new identity, and we're followers of him now, because of that, because of your faith, given to you, be humble. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Very straightforward command from Paul here. He's basically saying because of the gospel, the gospel should make us humble people. While we were desperate and had no hope in being reconciled to God and could do nothing about that ourselves, God yet loved us, showed us his grace and his mercy in Jesus. And I don't want us to, to, to run, rush over this too quickly, and I think that's my tendency, at least when I read this. Um, don't think of yourself more highly than you are. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Continue to move on. I want us to just pause and, and, and kind of reflect really on our thoughts on this one, because I think most of us who are Christians kind of get the idea we're pretty good about not verbally boasting, verbally being arrogant and prideful. But I want us to really ask, what do, what do we think about? What are our feelings what are our beliefs about ourselves as it relates to other people? Are we still humble then? Do we, do we need to, to, to repent and, 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 and recognize this command that, that maybe we need to be reminded to be humble? That we need to reflect on the gospel and realize that we should be 
the most humble people in the world because of the grace and mercy shown to us in the gospel. So Paul quickly says, first step in becoming a part of the church, connecting to a, a family of followers of Jesus, is humility. Okay, is humility. We can't, we can't give ourselves to a group of people without admitting that we need help, without admitting that we're broken and sinful people in need of grace and mercy. Because if we don't have that, it's going to be hard to live this life together. It's going to be hard to do everything else we're going to talk about today if we don't first realize that we are needy people in, in desperate need of God's grace. And that should produce humility in us. And now Paul's going to transition now to the second point that we're going to get to. Let's look at verse 4. He's talking more about the church here, how we connect with each other, how we belong to one another. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul is using the imagery of, of the human body here. So we need to think human body as he's talking to us in these verses, okay? The human body has many members, and all of them have a function. There are no unimportant members of the human body. From the heart and brain to the pinky finger and pinky toe, all members of the body have a function. And God has designed the church to function in very much the same way. And God has deliberately organized it this way. So Paul is really emphasizing here how we are inter interconnected uh, amongst each other. He even says we belong to one another. Because we belong to Christ, we belong to one another. Just think about that statement. Do, do we get that? Do we really understand we belong to one another? It's like saying we're one another's possession. We're connected spiritually because we have the same Father, God, now. And this is a spiritual thing that connects us through the Holy Spirit. So we need to, again, pause and just realize what Paul is saying here, that we belong to one another. We're no longer just a scattering of individuals that happen to, to come into a place once a week. We belong to one another. There's a lot of mystery in that, but we need to strive to understand that as much as we can. So what are some things that make this difficult? Because even... Even when I hear that, and I've studied it this week, this is, this is really hard stuff to live out. I think it's very straightforward, the way Paul's saying it, but living it out is really hard. Like one of the things is in thinking too highly of ourselves is just that we think we don't need other people. I, I've got this life. I'm good. I know where I'm going. Kind of the captain of my ship here. If I really, really get in trouble, I'll, I'll seek out help. But I pretty much got this. I can live my life, and I don't need other people consistently around me to help me get there. So just think, again, thinking of ourselves too highly in that way, that we actually um, don't need other people. And if, if, if that's you, I just pray you would search the scriptures and realize that, that that's dangerous, and I think that leads down a path of loneliness. The other thing that makes this hard is just this, this consumeristic nature of, of our culture. Okay, when you... Many of you who came from another church, maybe, or when you moved to town, you kind of were looking for a church. There's some consumerism in that, and I think that's okay for a season. You have to figure out where you want to plug in, where you want to belong. But at some point, that consumeristic, 
mindset has to change. It has to change to, to being a contributor, from a consumer to a contributor. Once you are all in at a church, the consumerism thing has to stop, and now you're a contributor to the mission of the church. The world says we, uh, when we join a community, and, and this can be for the church or any, any other community, that we, we ask the question, I will be a part of this group, I will be a part of this community as long as it benefits me. If it benefits me, I'll join. If it doesn't, I probably won't join. Or I'll join this community as long as you kind of stay, kind of keep your distance and allow me to live out my dreams for what I want in my life. I'll be a part of the, the community. There's some conditions on us joining the community. Other barriers, I think we don't want, um, we want to make our own decisions. Most big decisions, at least in our country, are made either by an individual or by our immediate family. How many of us think, too, when we're buying a house to consult members of the church, members of our community? When we're buying a car, consulting members of our community? If we decide to change jobs, move to a different location, are we asking people who know us well, who pray for us, who live life with us, are we asking them, hey, what do you think? And look at your wisdom here. I trust that you have the Spirit, and I want to make sure that I'm hearing the Spirit well, so I need you to speak into this. Are we living this way? This is, this is life as a family, the way the Scripture describes it. And I think there's many more, but I think the last one is just we are scared to be vulnerable. All of us, to some degree, have a little bit of fear of being vulnerable. And we know if we start moving into community, if we start moving into this idea of belonging to one another, our real self is going to have to come out eventually. And so a, a lot of us want to kind of keep people at arm's distance, move a certain amount, but there's this part of me that I don't want anyone to know. But to be a family, to truly give yourselves to one another, to belong to one another, it has to be all of us. We have to be comfortable saying, this is us. This is who I am. Our culture, our world tells us to put on masks. Social media doesn't help this. Okay, Put on a mask and try to be someone that, that you think is valuable or maybe try to impress someone by who you are. So maybe you're the, maybe you're the funny guy. You, you want to be funny and let people see that side of you, but there's this other part of you that you're not like, going to let anyone get close to. But you want to be the funny guy and be approved that way. Maybe you're the really intellectual guy, and you're smart, and you want people to see that, and you have good ideas. You, you know about a lot of things. And so you want people to see you as the intellectual guy, but you won't let anybody any closer than that. And maybe you're the parent who wants to look like you have it all together in your parenting, so you put that image forward, that this is, this is my life and how wonderful it is. And, and social media makes this so hard because we can kind of pick and choose what other people see. Our community online that we have can see the very best of us. But that isn't true biblical community. Biblical community is offering all of ourselves to other people to, grow, to be able to grow up into Christ and to fulfill his mission. So this is difficult. I'm laying out these barriers because I'm sure that many of us have the same things. I know I do. I don't like being vulnerable necessarily. It's not something I enjoy, but I know it's good for me. I know Christ and the Spirit can, can use other people to help me look more like Jesus. Let's look on verse 6. He's going to start getting into the specific gifts here. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
This is one of three places in the, in the New Testament Paul lays out a spiritual gift list. 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, the other two places, okay? So this list is not exhaustive. It's kind of representative of, of a wider spiritual gift list. And so most people think in the neighborhood of, of there are 20 gifts listed in the New Testament. I encourage you to check those other lists out at some point and just kind of get so you can get the whole spectrum of the gifts Paul mentions. Now, <clears throat> why don't we call these spiritual gifts? Because the Holy Spirit is, is active in our lives when we're doing these things. Okay, so if you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you won't have spiritual gifts because they come from the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll have skills, you'll have talents, of course, but you won't have that thing that the Holy Spirit kind of brings about in your life when you're doing certain things. But it's also common, I, find out, I found out, that if you do become a Christian, oftentimes the spiritual gifts you end up having are the things that you were good at prior to becoming a Christian. Okay, so there's, there's some commonality there, and there's some overlap. But these are spiritual gifts. There are a couple of things before we get into the gifts I want you to notice. It says, having gifts that differ. Again, back to the body analogy, we all have different gifts. We all have different gifts. Don't minimize your gift. Don't think that you don't have a gift. If you, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have a gift. Maybe multiple gifts, okay? So don't... I don't, I don't like hearing, the, oh, I don't, I, don't have, I'm, I don't have anything to contribute. And I, I, I hear that a lot. And I, I pray that you would understand that the, you are a part of the body. Therefore, you have a function in the body. Okay? Don't try to be someone you're not. Be content with how God has made you and find life and fulfillment by using that gift. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 is a great reminder of this. Um, it'll be on the screen. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. He created us down to the very detail, the hairs of our head. He knows us. Okay, We should take confidence in this. And the other thing to notice about this before we get into the gifts is he says, let us use them. Paul's not just throwing out a gift list for the sake of throwing it out. He says, let us use them. He's commanding us, walk in them. This is how you function as a part of the church. Walk out your spiritual gifts among, amongst the church. Because these are commands as we go through this list. Remember, he's saying, let us use them. Okay? And with all these gifts, we can't just say, hey, I'm not really good at that. I don't like that, so I'm just not going to worry about it. These are all things that Jesus was perfect in. Okay? So as we grow up into our faith, we have to ask ourselves, are we growing up in all of these gifts? Okay? Over time, we, be, we should be more proficient at working these things out in our lives as time goes by, in all of these things. But there are going to be one, two, three things that when you do it, there's just something supernatural that happens when you do those things. Okay? So let's go through these very quick. I'm not going to explain a lot of these just because they're very straightforward. I'm going to talk more about what they actually look like in the church. This first one takes a little bit of explanation because I know there's some confusion around this. First one is, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, okay? Now, I'm going to read you a couple of just definitions of, of, uh, of prophecy, okay? Spontaneous revelation from the Holy Spirit, that's one. A, kind of a, a different way of saying it, um, speaking something that God has spontaneously brought to mind, okay? So, we have the Holy Spirit, as that Holy Spirit spontaneously, kind of out of the blue, brings something to your mind, and you speak it, Okay? The Holy Spirit brings that to mind and you speak it. That's the gift of prophecy, okay? It's, a, it's coming from the Holy Spirit, okay? It's, it's a gift of prophecy. Now, 
here are some things about this gift, okay? It is fallible, okay? It is fallible. And it's in need of sifting because we're fallen, sinful human beings. Our perception could be off. We could have misinterpreted the revelation. Our delivery could be off as we're speaking it, okay? So it's prophecy, as, as we're saying prophecy, or we're saying, hey, I've got a word of prophecy, it should always, always be tested against the scriptures, Always be tested against the scriptures. First Thessalonians 5.20 says this. It says to test the prophecies and hold fast to what is good. It's saying test the prophecies and whatever's good, hold fast to that. But it is saying test them. And we test them primarily against the word of God. Scripture is our primary grid for testing. Okay? Also the role of the elders comes into play here. If there's a kind of church-wide, if there's um, something out there and um, needs to be kind of confirmed with scriptures. That's part of guarding doctrine, protecting doctrine, setting vision theologically for the church. That's a part of the elders' responsibility. Responsibility in that. Okay. Now, next, my notes got out of order here. Um, so here, here, here's the kind of a description of this person. Okay, a person who may have the gift of prophecy. This person will be very prayerful. They'll be very, very help, healthy in their prayer life. So they have to learn to how to hear. From the word of God, from the Holy Spirit. They will know their Bible well. They're very discerning of the Holy Spirit's voice. They will know how the Holy Spirit who inspires the word connects with the Holy Spirit in their heart. They will understand that. They will know their word. They will be orthodox. They will have um, understand theologically well the scriptures. Okay, Um, And they will be faithful to what God actually told them and not go beyond that. Okay, these are some things that someone with the gift of prophecy should have. Okay? Now next, service in our serving. That's the next one. If service in our serving, let us do this. Okay? This person is humble and patient and joyful as they serve. Okay? I know we're all called to serve. We all are, most of us are pretty good at that because we're followers of Jesus. But when someone has the gift of serving and you're around them when they're doing it, they're just joyful. They love doing it. You like being around them when you're serving with them because it, just joy exudes out of them. Okay? And these are things that maybe not most of us wouldn't enjoy. Most of us would probably do just because it needs to get done. But when you're around these people doing uh, tasks that maybe some of us don't want to do, they love it. Okay? It's not a means to an end. It's the end. They just love doing it because they're servants. Okay? And here's the deal with this, with this gift. I think this gift is unique because there are a lot of, not a lot, but a few people have come into the church over the years and wanted to, to lead ministries or to teach or to lead worship. And the first thing I'll tell um, people coming in is you, you need to serve first. You need to serve. Because, again, I want to see someone serving before they want leadership responsibilities. Okay? I want to see someone here early, early in the morning on Sunday helping stack chairs, set up chairs, straighten Bibles, do the things that you're not going to get praise for. Most people aren't going to see. I think that's a, a strong indication that someone has a godly character, that they're eager to do the things that no one's going to see. They're not going to get praise for. Okay? And that's a good testament to um, someone who's serving. Now, some examples of this. These people are in my missional community. I'm going to mention some names here. But uh, Todd and Lisa Pelton, you guys are, are faithful servants. You, you, if you're ever here early and Todd and Lisa are here setting up, like, they're just a joy. They have smiles on their faces. They love doing that. Ricky and Debbie King, another couple in my missional community, 
um, who, who are on the setup and teardown team. You're around Ricky and Debbie. You just can't help but uh, be happy. There's this lightheartedness with them in the middle of serving, okay? Um, so if you know them, you can kind of picture them, and I think that's a great picture of a servant. Okay, next. The one who teaches in his teaching. Okay, this is teaching, not talking about knowledge. Okay, this is actually teaching. That means there's a two-way street here. When you teach, people are changed. People understand concepts, and they end up doing those things and doing those things pretty well as a result of your teaching. It's not just because you know a lot about something makes you a good teacher. There's a communication element when it comes in teaching. Those of you who have been trained teachers who, who are teaching schools, you get this, okay, as you've been through teaching theory. Okay? There's, there's way more to teaching than just knowing the content. Okay? Um, people learn and people are changed by what you say. Okay? Um, now, this can differ. There's a lot of context for this, okay? Actually, the, the, you may think, first of all, it's Sunday morning, but this is one of the, probably the, the least amount of times that teaching is done. It's one-on-one in your home. It's in missional community. It's uh, between parent and child. It's between roommates. It's between spouses, okay? We can teach in many different uh, environments. This is one of those things that we should all, again, aspire to be better teachers, especially of God's Word. There's... There's some people, though, that when they teach, it just feels like, okay, I can understand these concepts, and I understand what to do with these concepts now as a result of uh, this knowledge they're imparting, okay? But we should all, once again, grow up in this gift of teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, okay? Uh, this one is, it comes out in preaching a little bit, but it actually, most of the time, it's probably going to function in a missional community, just everyday life. It's being able to, to encourage um, one another in our faith. It could be a rebuke. It could be a little bit of a correction. It could be uh, an encouraging piece. But it's when this when this person says something, whether encouraging or maybe corrective, you just feel like wow. There's just some. There's just extra weight to that. This one's hard to explain. But you've been around those people that when they encourage or say something, it's like the spirit is speaking through them, and you feel it, and you wanna you wanna change. You wanna move. You're moved to action as a result of what they. Say, this is the gift of exhortation. And I think this is one that happens a lot more in missional communities than we actually think. Okay? Um, next, the one who contributes in generosity. I think this is referring to finances or possessions. Okay, and similar to serving, I think as, as followers of Jesus, hopefully we know that giving is a characteristic of, of a life of faith. But this person, they're just so joyful in doing it. It's almost like they're just looking for an opportunity to give all the time. And there's almost not even any thinking about it. And I think they maybe give things away that maybe most of us would, would like think twice about. You're like, wait, wait, you what? And they're just like, yeah, I just, I just, yeah, you know, whatever. Oh, we don't need it. Whatever. You know, it's just this overpouring of generosity. And I think hopefully people are coming to your mind as you think about that. But um, and you don't have to be wealthy to have this gift. Hopefully you know that. And you, a person can be generous um, and, and not have a lot of money. It's, it's, the, it's the heart. It's the overflow of what the Spirit's doing in your heart. Again, all of us should be givers. We should as followers of Jesus. But this person, it just seems like the Spirit is operating uniquely in their life when they are giving. Um, the one who leads with zeal. Okay, and This is one of those we're all leading to some capacity, I think. We all should aspire to grow up in our leadership. And I think it's interesting on this one to focus on this idea with zeal. So oftentimes when you get in a position of leadership, I think either you can kind of put it on autopilot thinking, okay, I'm here. So it's a reminder, do this with zeal. 
But also, leadership is tough. By definition, people are following you. People are looking at you if you're a leader, and so more criticism is going to come. More critique is going to come. You're going to have a bigger target on your back when you're a leader. So when those type of things come, it's, it's, it's encouraging for Paul to say, do it with zeal. Do it with passion. Do it with a steadfastness as you lead. And don't lose heart and don't give up. So that's, uh, that's uh, leadership. Lastly, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, Acts of mercy. This is people who just love to help the needy, the broken, the marginalized. Um, they would actually rather be um, doing something for someone in need than just kind of sitting around or, or, or thinking. They just want to go act on behalf of those who are needy. It's almost like they have this sixth sense and they can just smell out brokenness. They just want to be involved and in it. And actually I've found in my experience that kind of brokenness is attracted to them. I think God kind of brings people who are needy and broken to certain people because they're just really, really good at it. The Spirit is operating uniquely when they're around brokenness, okay? And why cheerfulness here? I think this is really important because if any of you have done mercy ministry or done that kind of ministry for a long term, it can be frustrating. It can be exhausting. It can be like one step forward, three steps back. So I think this reminder, do it with cheerfulness. Be happy. Be, remember, be joyful when you're doing it, Paul says. I think that that's important because um, this can get complicated dealing with brokenness, with addiction, with poverty, all of those things. I think people um, with the, the gift of, of, of mercy are unique in this way. Uh, a couple that many of you know, uh, Kim and Ginger Bass, I think they are, um, when I look at them, they are this people. Like they help run a, 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 a summer camp for at-risk foster kids. They have really strong, unique relationships at Food and Shelter for Friends here in Norman, a homeless shelter and a, and a, and a food kitchen. Um, and it just seems like there's just stories all the time coming out of their sphere of people being healed in a multiple of ways. Okay, and so Kim and Ginger Bass, I think, are great for that. And they belong to, I'll do a plug for the For the City team here. We have a For the City team that is, um, kind of takes initiative on, the behalf, on behalf of the church and is seeking opportunities that our church can, can, can love the city as a whole. And so there's a, a team of 8, 10, or 12, I believe. Uh, the Vasses are on that team, and so they're always looking for more people. So if you feel like that's your gift and you really want to, you're like maybe frustrated that you don't have more to do here in that way, I would encourage you to join that team and you can talk a lot and plan events and those type of things for engagement with the city. A couple other examples, because I think this is important. My wife, um, I think, Nicole, I think she has the gift of teaching. And I think she also has the gift of faith. And that's not in this list, but I think faith is one of those gifts that in, in, in our world, in our marriage, church planting, starting a church, moving from one place to a new place with, you know, kind of nothing and starting a church from scratch, that takes a ton of faith. She is definitely the faith person in our family. She's the person I go to. to, to she can speak confidence to me that God's going to provide. I, I believe it. I've prayed about this. God's going to show up. God's going to take care of us. There's just this unique gift of faith she has where I'm always kind of struggling with doubt, and I'm eh, I don't know. This is, I'm overanalyzing everything. She's just like, believe faith, okay? So that's Nicole. Uh, ben and Matt, two of our elders here, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think they both have the gift of serving. Ben, um, I, ben and Matt have been around for a long time, but uh, probably six months into knowing Ben, I mentioned that we'd had a leak just in passing from our ceiling, and 
the, the roof was damaged, or the ceiling was damaged, and he hears that. He says, I'm going to come by today and take a look at that. I think I may be able to help you. I didn't know Ben was world-class at this stuff, but he comes in and looks at it. He goes, I'm going to get my stuff and come back. He spends hours patching this and drywalling it and painting it, this patch in our roof. I barely knew the guy. But right then I'm like, okay, that, I, I like him. Um, I, I want to spend time with this guy, and, and I don't think it's by coincidence he's an elder now. Matt Mosier, the same way. He, every large labor-intensive event that the church has ever had, Matt is there. He's usually eating out in it. He's usually bringing his tools. He's all in. He's excited. He's, he's kind of marching the troops into this. And so these two guys are elders now, and I don't think it's a coincidence that that is a prerequisite for an elder, guys who, who just love the church, love people, and will give sacrifice anything to help other people. Um, so kind of to wrap that part up, there's a process that happens that, that I think God wants to take us from consumer to contributor. I think it's a process. So I'm sure in a room this size, there's people all over that spectrum, but the goal is to take steps towards being a contributor rather than a consumer. And some of this, it, it takes us longer, some, some people than others. Um, and, and the success here at Providence Road has never been about getting these seats filled on Sunday morning. Never has. It's just a step towards um, building the church in a very healthy way, which means getting in community, being belonging to one another and living that, li- uh, that life out together for the sake of the gospel here in the city, okay? A couple of things, um, practical things, how to find your spiritual gift, okay? Now that I've laid all that out, I'm sure some of you are like, I don't know what my gift is, help me figure this out. Um, honestly, there's not, I don't, I'm not a big fan of any kind of the spiritual gift tests you take online. I mean, you can take those, but I think you kind of take those with a grain of salt. Um, I think the best way are self-examination. What do you love doing? What what, what are you passionate about? What's fun to you? That's not unspiritual. What is fun? What do you feel alive when you're doing? Ask the people who are closest to you, your spouse, your roommates, your missional community, people that, that see you operate in everyday life, and ask them, hey, look at these, these 20 or so gifts in the New Testament. If you had to pick two or three, what would you pick for me? And, and ask them. And, and people who have lived life with you long enough can probably um, pick out some things that you may be um, good at. Once you maybe find a couple of that, maybe you're not sure, go use them. Try, try to use the spiritual gifts. Maybe inside the church, maybe outside the church. Find a place where you can use these gifts and then get feedback. Hey, how, how am I doing? How can I get better? Did you, did, did, were you encouraged by that? Were you ministered to, to me when I did that? Because that, again, is a, is a, uh, is a, is a um, kind of proof that the Holy Spirit is working in you when people are feeling those things when you're operating in your gifts. And then study the biblical lists, these lists that I talked about. Study them, look over them, pray about them, think about them, um, and try to find out uh, really what your spiritual gift is. If you're struggling and I know you a little bit, um, I can probably throw out a couple that, um, may, that I think maybe that you fit into. Um, so if you need help and want to process that, I can definitely try to help you as well for that. Um, the church is not a place to be passive. It's a place for action. It's not a place to come and just get refilled and then leave. It's a place to come, get refilled, then get equipped, and then pour back into the body. I mean, this is, I think this is clear what Romans 12 is teaching here. It's why I love it. Paul's laying out clearly what it looks like to be the body. We need one another's gifts. We need to experience one another's gifts. I need to experience your gifts. I need to be around people who are gifted in ways I am not gifted. I need that. My soul needs that. 
I'll look more like Jesus if I'm around people who are like Jesus more in ways than I'm not right now. I need that. So if you have, you do have gifts. You have gifts, find out and use them. Use them to benefit the body. Okay, to kind of end our time here, I want to lay out what our process here at the church is. Okay, our process here at the church um, if we're taking this passage saying, what does this look like in Providence Road? Okay, we try to make this very clear. We're pretty simple here. We try not to clutter things up from the, the scriptures and what it's calling us to do. First off, missional communities. Get in a missional community. At least visit missional communities. Maybe this summer, time just to visit and, 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 and meet some people in these missional communities. Okay, this is the place where the primary um, environment for discipleship happens at Providence Road. It's a place where we, as together, as a family, um, come to, to know God, um, believe in God in a deeper way, and obey God, and, and, and follow Jesus and those things in everyday life. Okay, that's where that happens, is in missional communities in our church. It's also a place where people who don't know Jesus can come in to a different environment other than here on Sunday, ask questions, wrestle with faith. Talk about things. Hear, hear, the word, hear the word taught and discussed in a way that they can kind of come in and ask difficult questions that just Sunday morning does not allow. So missional communities are very important in that way. They get to actually see church lived out, which doesn't get to happen on Sunday mornings. That's why missional communities are so, so important. So one of the things you can do, there's three things. One, missional communities. Check them out. I can, I'll be in the back of the room if you have any questions about missional communities after this to answer those questions. Second, serve. Okay, missional communities, then serve. Find a place to serve. Even if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, still find a place to serve here at the church, okay? Aaron mentioned kids. We always need kids workers, okay? We continue to grow with kids, so we're always looking for more kids persons. Like she said, this is a very, very important part of the church. There are a lot of unbelievers back in those rooms who need to hear about Jesus and need people who will be back there and pray with them and discuss with them and talk um, about matters of faith with them. Worship team. Chris is always looking for people in different ways to join the worship team. Set up teardown. Audio visual. They're in the back of the room. Okay, We need people to serve in those ways. I mentioned for the city team earlier. We also have a team that's for the nation. So trying to, to kind of pray for and ask questions about how we can uh, be more engaged with seeing the gospel go to all parts of the earth. Here at home, um, but also by taking trips and sending missionaries and those kinds of things. So uh, we also have a story team, that people who tell stories through um, writing and through filming video and scripts and those kinds of things. We want to continue to grow that team so we can put out more stories of things that are happening at the church and life change. So if that kind of, you, you, you hear that and you're like, oh, I, I could, I'd love to do that, then come talk to somebody. Come talk to me. Let me know if that is you. We'll have computers open in the back of the room after the service uh, for you to be able to um, sign up and if, while you're thinking about it, to be able to put something down and quickly um, let one of us know and then we can help you get in the process. So missional communities serve and then sign up for our next membership class. That'll be in the fall, so not a lot to do right now on that, but it's coming. Early in the fall, we'll have another membership class and then that's where we talk more about the church. You'll get more of your questions answered about how um, what it looks like to be a part of Providence Road, okay? I want to end with this. I want to come back to Jesus and the gospel. If you look at Jesus and you look at this list, he was the embodiment of perfection in all of these gifts. Prophecy, he spoke the words of God to people, okay? Serving, he was a servant. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He was merciful. Look at his life in the gospel, so merciful to the people, the people that knew they were broken and knew they needed help, he was merciful to them. He was a great teacher. 
the, the gift of generosity. He was rich, he became poor, so that we who were poor spiritually might become rich. Okay, you see Jesus in all of these things. So I encourage you as you're going through these gifts, think about how did Jesus fulfill this? Because he fulfilled it perfectly. He was the embodiment of these gifts. And then Jesus, right before he, he ascends back to the Father, he takes his followers and says, here's the deal. It's better for you if I go away. Because I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to help you live. It's going to help you do these things. It's going to help you to continue my mission here on earth. And Jesus right now is ruling and reigning in heaven, and he has left his Holy Spirit here on earth to empower saints, to empower Christians in the church to fulfill his mission. That's what he's done, and that's the church. That's our calling. That's what we are to do. And so as we move out and start practicing these spiritual gifts and trying to be better at doing this thing called community, we have a helper. We have the Holy Spirit. And the way that the, the, the world's going to see God, the way we're going to glorify and honor God is by doing these things because that's the mission. The mission that Jesus had was to glorify the Father. And he's left the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the same thing. But if we're not doing these things, if we're not a part of the church, if we're not using our gifts, then that's short-circuited. And the world may not get to see the glory of God through his people, the church. Let's pray. Father, once again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these passages in Romans that we're into now that are so straightforward. If we were to ask you, what, what are we to do as a church? How do we behave? What's our relationship to look like with one another? You've basically given it to us in these chapters of Romans, and we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you that it's very straightforward. We really don't have to um, wrestle with the what a lot. We do have to wrestle with our motivations to do it. We have to wrestle with the difficulty of truly living as authentic biblical community and how hard that is and how much time that takes and how hard it is to use our gifts, to die to ourselves and say, I'm going to use my gift to um, serve the church rather than serve myself. Those things are hard. So we pray and ask that your spirit, who you've left with us as the helper, to empower us to be those kinds of people to help us be the kinds of people and to belong to one another so that the world may see um, this broken, messy, messed up group of people who, are, who have been saved by grace called the church. The world can see us living this way and think there must, there must be something greater. There must be a God. Who is this Jesus guy that y'all are talking about? And that we may be able to proclaim the excellencies of him to the world who desperately, desperately needs it. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we move into a time of communion, um, Jesus took a piece of bread before he was to go to the cross in front of, among his um, disciples, living community out. He broke this bread and said, this bread represents my body broken for you. He wanted them to see a visual demonstration of what it would look like for a body to be torn. And so when they thought about um, the bread and they partook of the bread moving forward, they would always remember what Jesus went through. They also took a cup filled with red liquid that represented his blood. And that he wanted people to remember that his blood would be shed for them to cover past, present, and future sins. And as they did this in a consistent basis, took communion, they would remember the grace, remember God's mercy shown to them. 
and his kindness shown towards broken sinners like you and me. So here's what I want you to do. Before you come forward and, and go to the back for communion, I want you to, I want you to focus on this piece of, of church and how we belong to one another. And that we do this together. This isn't um, just a bunch of individuals taking communion here. We're doing this as a family. We're doing this at the same time. We're saying as a, as a church, yes, I remember the gospel. I remember what you've done for me. I'm going to take and entrust and come forward and take the bread and the wine and take it boldly with confidence that my sins have been forgiven and that you have created me to do good works, as Ephesians 2.10 says. So I want us to just take, if you're a follower of Jesus and you take some time and think about the unity that is happening in this room. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We're all taking communion at the same time. And we're all... Um, called to be um, to fulfill Jesus's purposes here on earth together so I want you to think about that um, when we give you some space to to think and pray here now if you're in here not a follower of Jesus um, maybe you're wondering maybe you've never had this kind of community you've never had um, this kind of family before and I would encourage you to think about that why not and as the communities that you're a part of how's that working for you and do you want to be a part of a family that has uh, a father who is who is forgiving. You can come to him just as you are. You don't need to clean up. You don't need to change. You come as you are in faith, and you will be changed. You'll be reconciled to God. You trust and believe in who Jesus is and, 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 and what he said he did. That's how you become a follower of Jesus and be brought into the family. If that's you and, and you want to make a decision like that today, you can come take communion, maybe for the first time today. But if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you still some, need some time to process through some things, um, we just invite you to stay where you're at. This is a, a family deal. This is for followers of Jesus only. But if that is you, um, I encourage you to talk to somebody, talk to process with uh, somebody that maybe you came with. Come talk to me. Um, we want this to be a safe place where you can come and doubt and wrestle with things of the faith. So please talk to someone if that describes you. So take a few minutes. You can come to the, to the front or head to the back to take communion whenever you're ready.